Welcome to Hope Blooms, a podcast from the Early Pregnancy Loss Association. At EPLA, we seek to support women and families suffering early pregnancy loss by providing resources, education, and community. It is our vision that no one suffers miscarriage alone. Welcome back to Hope Blooms. This is Emily Carrington, and I am excited to be here again with Heidi and Ben Kafferlin. Maria is here with me too, and we are going to pick up where we left off for part two with Heidi and Ben's story. In our last episode, we talked about the, the physical experience and the medical trauma that Heidi experienced, and we want to pick up that conversation with Ben the days, weeks, months, and years afterwards, we know this isn't just a physical burden, but an emotional and sometimes a relational burden. And everyone experiences that very differently. And so welcome back, Heidi and Ben. We are so glad to have you. Thank you. Well, go ahead and tell us sort of, you've you've said you've experienced it very differently. Can you give us a little bit about what that meant? Well, so for me, it was pretty quick. Like we noted in the last episode, as the, the EMT brain was kind of what was on during most of the whole experience at the with the ambulance ride and and everything. I was he was in the front seat in the ambulance. He wasn't even in the back with me. So anyway, I was just I don't know, kind of um, I put it in a box like a good guy, right? <laughs> And your waffle brain. Yep, exactly. Versus the spaghetti brain. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that for a long time. (laughs) So I didn't even really start to process it, I don't think, until the next day. I remember thinking how. So we were just sitting on the couch after dinner or something 24 hours later, which was when I finally like had stopped distracting myself with work and just stuff. And kind of just sat there for five minutes thinking and finally like burst out crying. And Heidi, I felt, I felt guilty because I wasn't in the same stage emotionally. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, cut, you said something that was really insensitive. Like, why are you crying? <laughs> <Or something>. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. <laughs> Were you, what was your grief? Was it for your wife, for the baby, for just whatever just happened to you? <laughs> or I don't think it was exactly grief for like Heidi's pain or anything. It was mainly over, you know, we had this expectation of having a baby and it was kind of the death of the expectation. But also I think just that overarching realization of sin and awfulness in the world and just kind of lamenting, lamenting the ugliness of this world. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how that, yeah, all it takes is like one thing and then suddenly you're overwhelmed with everything is terrible and they'll never be the same again. You know, I mean, that's how I felt exactly. in those moments. Like nothing will ever be the same ever or, yeah. and never good again. Like the um, gates of hell have been opened. Yes, yes. And it's so overwhelming. And so maybe then it was helpful that since you were in different places, you had someone there to be like, no, wait, it'll be okay. But yeah, I... <laughs> I'm not known for my tact in situations like that. I don't remember saying that, but 
And those um, probably weren't the exact words, but I will tell you that that's how it, whatever you said, that's how, how it I came felt. across. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I felt guilty because I wasn't distraught at any point. I wasn't distraught. I had a few tears a couple of weeks later when I was actually creating the Facebook post about it and the writing of, of what was, uh, you know, expressing myself through writing always helps me process a little bit. And so when I, when I posted that, that's when I was, you know, felt the weight of that, of that grief. And it was short lived, but in those, in the first few days, we have a good friend. So the wife of the guy who first responded from the fire department, that was the first voice I heard when I woke up from being unconscious. They are staff at a Christian camp near us where I used to work and he was my boss. And so in that, when I first woke up and heard his voice, I felt a lot of reassurance. And then in, in the, the days following that his wife really stepped in. Her name is Tanya. She, she had a very similar miscarriage experience. So she showed me a lot of love in those. And she texted me every day. She came over the next day and sat with me and talked to me. And then after that, for like a week or two, she texted me every single day. And one thing she said to me when she came over was it's difficult to, to grieve someone you've never met. And, and that was, exactly where I was at. I was like, I don't even know where to start in terms of processing this because it wasn't someone I, you know, it, I had hardly enough time to process the fact that I was actually pregnant. You know, there was no baby that I could feel. I didn't, I wasn't even in my fat pants. Like it was like, <laughs> I, it was just not real to me yet. So that probably has something to do with why I was processing it so much faster. Yes. Namely, I because, could see a little girl already. Like, I already had the visions I wanted. Like I had the name I had, frankly, that little girl in my mind looks a lot like our current, like our daughter, um, uh, Eva. Yeah. So I guess that's why I didn't process it more quickly, but now, uh, now having a one-year-old or 16 month old, um, when I got that and, and, and the other thing that Tanya said was that sometimes after if once you ha- already have children that it's easier for you to process that grief because you know what you're missing and you know what you're you're grieving um whereas i didn't so that that helps put my mind at, at ease and at least help me not feel guilty so so like this this year when i pulled our that ornament out and put it on the tree i felt more of the weight of what we had lost because of the joy that we have with our current little girl. I think that's, I think that's probably more common than, than we think. And I think that there's, I, and even among, even if you do feel it right away, I think there's sort of an easiness to be sort of separated from that grief and that it is, it is kind of hard. You've never met them, you know, your family hasn't met them. And I think there's something too. I know I sort of have a special connection with other babies that are supposed to, or they're not babies now, other eight and nine year olds that would be around the age of my baby. And sort of, it's a now kind of a happy, like touch point. You know, I was, I was due at the same time as, as my sister-in-law, which we've talked about in other episodes. And yeah. We have another, we have a really good friend who, once they heard we were pregnant, they tried to get pregnant afterwards. Oh, and we're successful. <laughs> and so their little oh, no. boy is about the same age that, mm-hmm. that our baby would have been. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's what and I those think are th- when I see him too. 
Oh, I forgot. She called me on the way to the hospital. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And said, hey, guess what? We're pregnant. And I answered oh the phone gosh. because I thought that she knew somehow or was, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Right. What, and those are, did I you mean, tell her so where you were going or did it just not? Yeah, did, did you just say, oh, well, uh, okay. we're not anymore. Oh, oh I uh, bet she felt terrible, but oh, well. Right. And those are, right. And that's part of this huge process too. Like, let's talk about that a little bit in the processing. You guys had started to tell people we had not told anyone out of the like, you know. You know what? Even now looking back, I'm glad we told people because with Ben's position, so the first thing he did when he went back to work, he was off work for what, two, two, two days. days and then Friday morning he went back to work. And the first thing he did was he had a radio interview, um, with some local, like some newscasters who came down from Erie and they were just doing a promo for local tourism or whatever. And the local radio host who knew us had heard that we were going to have a baby. And so one of the radio, one of the, one of the news anchors from Erie was not there because his wife had just had a baby. And so Dale, the radio host turns to Ben and said, Dale, or it turns to Ben and says, Ben, I hear you're headed down that road. And, and he like, didn't have like, it was live radio. He didn't have a choice. And so, so actually it was a really cool opportunity for Ben to, um, express what had happened and how wonderful our community had been in coming around us and our church, the body of Christ and, and the church that came around us, um, and really enveloped us and, and cared for us. And, and so like, and so Ben came home later that day and said, I'm so sorry. I, I had no choice. Like I, we were live. I was kind of backed into a corner and I hope this doesn't, isn't hurtful to you. And I was like, no, I'm so glad that we were able. And then later it, so not only was it live radio, it was on a Facebook live feed. So there were people who knew us from across the county who started commenting and saying, thank you for what you said. You know, I have my own story and this, you know, was really encouraging to me or whatever. And (laughs) there were just things that came out of it that I never, ever would have imagined. Well, that's a thing we talk about a lot with our organization is sort of the, the, the change in attitude or social script from you don't don't talk about it to it's okay to talk about it if you want to. And it's, it's sort of a more, you know, commonly discussed in the open thing. And yet with mine, I hadn't told anyone except my parents and my in-laws. And so then I told my students that I had the flu and that's why I wasn't coming to work. And I regretted that later that I wouldn't just be upfront. And, you know, there, if I had been honest, would people have felt been able to you know, say, hey, it happened to me too, or here's what I found helpful or anything like that. So bring you some soup, you know, it's right. We've talked about this (laughs) in other episodes. Yeah, we didn't tell. And so I tried to lie. And then everyone was like, that's silly. And, um, you know, like, uh, I don't think she's sick. I just saw her half an hour ago, you know, and I was really thankful that we ended up telling people, you know, that it was it was helpful and we had mostly the prayers and support we needed we hadn't told it was still sort of this weird and i think things have changed i know my perspective has changed people now just tell me i don't <laughs> I, think I know that there's, there's a to, there's a that just because you didn't tell people were pregnant you're pregnant doesn't mean you can't tell them that you had a miscarriage <laughs> right right exactly right. so but there were yeah and it was still sort of this like 
secret, right? There was sort of this dynamic of the people who knew and the people who didn't know and that we needed to be discreet. And I really just, you know, I was a lot more open in later losses and it was a lot easier to navigate when it wasn't this weird. Yeah. And it gave us a connection with people that I never would have thought. So we, there's a, there's a local police chief of us, a small municipality near us. And we were there. I don't know. It was, Oh, it was around Christmas time later. It was months later. Yeah, it was months later. It was a few months later. And I, it wasn't even on my mind. We were at this open house for this new police station that they had built. And so Ben and I went in and we're talking to all these people, you know, from the community that we know. And the police chief pulls me into the side room. And I didn't even know he was a Christian because I had only seen him in an official capacity before. He pulls me into the side room and he's crying. And he was like, I just want to let you know, I'm so sorry for you. We, we have a couple of babies buried in the cemetery, like a mile from here. And, you know, my wife and I have been praying for you and we, we, we know we've been there. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, what, what a cool connection with someone that I never would have had before. Um, and ever since then, like it's given a connection with people who have been in the same, in the same place too. So it's a two-way street, I guess. Not only by everyone knowing were we be able to be ministered to when we needed it, but it has opened up the opportunity for us to minister to others. And that's very scriptural. You know, that's talked about in Corinthians, where um, where Paul talks about you know comforting others with the comfort that God has comforted you, and and that 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 passage is very real in times like that. And so I've had lots of opportunity to be an encouragement to other women who have been in, in the same in the same boat. So how did that let's go back to the two of you <laughs> for sure. Walking through that together and taking care of each other as you're processing this in a very different way. Once you got past um criticizing Ben for crying. <laughs> you know, so early on in our marriage, I feel like if it happened now, it would have, it would play out a lot differently in caring for each other. And I think, I don't think there was a lot, like we, it's not like we didn't talk about it, but we definitely processed it differently and separately. And I think it, it would be less separate if it were now. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we had learned yet (laughs) how to flesh something like that out as a, as a married couple. Right. You think when you think you think when you get married, like we've been through everything and we know everything about each other. And then <laughs> years later, you're like, oh, no, we definitely didn't. <laughs> and, and we were in between. Uh, we were still trying to find a church to plant in to 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 plant ourselves in. So I think if we had been in a in a church body more closely, we may have had more input and counsel in in that vein. I don't think. I don't think there's been any collateral damage from that, from the lack of, of processing it together. But I could see in the future. We'll like, talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't mean to, to, to air your marriage here. I think there's something that, you know, giving space to work through those hard things. However it is, I mean, we worked through things. We'd been married for four, almost five, five years at our loss and hadn't really been through anything 
too hard yet, but had still done five years of marriage and, and had moved to Texas and were by, you know, there was a lot of our own little island of making. And, and there's, there is, there's different ways you, you, you process, there's different, different comforts you hold on to. And I think that's something, you know, and realizing that both are suffering and experiencing loss and to, and to give space to that can, can be hard. And unfortunately, you know, trauma and loss can be really hard on a marriage, you know, so it, it's, yeah, I don't know that I have any more advice other than, <laughs> you know, you, you weather those things together. Yeah. Right? Uh, I guess the other side of that coin is if it happened now, we would, we would very actively seek the counsel of our church family and those in leadership in the church over us, because that is, that's, that is very, you know, biblical. So did you guys do anything to, to, we talk a lot about like ways to process grief, like, and this is different for everyone. I know I felt really like paralyzed. Like, I don't know what to do to process my grief and, and someone, you know, just said, release a balloon, which wasn't really going to be my cup of tea for processing grief, but just the idea of doing something made me realize that like, oh, so we weren't able, we didn't have the remains. We weren't able to do burials, but we did, you know, small prayer services and recognized and made some memory boxes and stuff like that and have ornaments. Are there things you guys did or didn't do or wish you had done that helped or didn't help? We planted a little willow tree in our front yard near the front of our driveway where there's a lot of water and we talked about planting a willow tree there in the past because that helps with water issues in 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 a yard and so we found one like way marked down at Lowe's because in September Lowe's puts all their plants you know on super sale and so we found one and it was just perfect and we told the guy where what it was for and uh, he marked it down even more. And so uh, we brought home this willow tree and, and planted it. And that was very, like, we took a picture and that was the very, like, poignant moment of, you know, this, we're doing this for this. And that's when I, that's when I made the Facebook post about it. And so that was more, more of a point in time for me of processing. I think that's something good for that. You know, as you said, you know, you didn't cry much. It wasn't until you made the Facebook post as someone cut from a similar cloth. I I think though those those outward markers, even if you're not like emotionally experiencing it, right, yet or or whatever sort of like worked up feelings which are totally legitimate, moving through the grief in those ways is still a processing through the grief. Right. And I would make the distinction that I think our society puts a lot of weight on feelings and what you outwardly express as opposed to more of a scriptural mindset of strengthening your inner man and your spiritual maturity through, throughout that process and, and going moving forward after that. I think that's more. Well, it seems like so much, I mean, what the world considers like real sharing of emotions is not, it's like what you put on Instagram. Right. Right. Like I'm feeling this way. It's like, but you're not really because that's just for show, you know, it's yeah, that's a totally different thing. 
yeah, I think there's got to be got to be room for that. I know we've talked in previous episodes. I think it, just a couple episodes about being gentle, and I did eventually I, get to a point where I was, I was, I was outwardly expressing. It was just a very sort of like passionate wailing, essentially. So there is that side of that, and you've got to give space for that. But there's also this side of it, and you're not going to feel like that. And those feelings don't legitimize or those or delegitimize your experience at all or your grief. So I'm sorry, Maria, I interrupted you again. You have a question. Oh, that's okay. I just had one more quick, you know, ang- angle that we could discuss briefly before we wrap up. Was there, because this happened with me, was there sort of a resurgence or what were the emotions like when then you did either tried to conceive again or succeeded because it sounds like like me and I think like Emily the losses were our first pregnancies and so then you're going into pregnancy like only knowing this negative potential outcome what was it like then going forward yeah I was just a little bit more cautious I guess but I felt like after the miscarriage my body regulated much better than it had ever been before so I felt much more healthy hormonally in terms of my cycle And so I felt like, I don't know, as I recall, I remember feeling like, oh, you know, maybe this pregnancy will be successful because, because I'm more well-regulated now. I don't remember. Well, that's true, but you were also. Maybe what I verbalized was more cautious. You were very standoffish. Yeah. Well, it's sort of terrifying if you're like, if this is what pregnancy means, then I don't want it, right? Like, that's sort of how I felt. I both wanted to immediately try to have another one, but then also was like, I can't go through that again, even though it wasn't guaranteed that I would have to go through that again, you know? I don't know that that's how Heidi expressed her feeling. It was more of a desire to take control again. Like, it, she, so the first pregnancy was not a surprise or not, it wasn't surprising or unsurprising, I guess because we weren't intending to get pregnant, but we weren't all, we were also not like, not intending. Not preventing. <laughs> Whereas then like once that happened, she took a very strict kind of, we're controlling this now and <laughs> I'm not going to be pregnant right now. <laughs> and it took a long time to kind of. Oh, I see what you're saying. That. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I think there's a, I think there's a way, I think, I, I mean, this could be a whole other podcast here, but I think I was really shocked by, I, I've said this before, like I wanted a big family. Um, I wanted a, I wanted an appropriately Protestantly large family, um, <laughs> <laughs> three to five children, you know what I like? And I, but I really, I realized, I really thought that like, well, let's not get into like how I thought that would just like please God that I wanted to control that. Um, But I really did think I had bought into sort of all worldviews and that this was something I could control. I could choose not to have babies and then I could choose to have babies. So I always thought people just chose to not have babies. Yeah. I think once we were okay, like, or I was okay with trying for a baby again. And once I thought I might be pregnant again, I was very, like, very hesitant to get my hopes up. I was, I purposely, like, didn't get my hopes up and was very blasé about 
pregnancy tests and everything because I didn't like, I just didn't want to like get emotionally invested if, if this was going to happen all over again. Right. Right. And the, the, I went to a different OB office. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was not going to see the doctor again. And they, they saw me early on and did, did a, an early ultrasound because just to make sure and just to see if everything was going okay. And sure enough, our little Eva was kicking and strong from the very beginning. And by the way, was born two years and two days. Two days after the miscarriage. Oh, wow. Those things are crazy and wonderful. I think what point in your pregnancy with her, did you sort of realize that she was coming? That she was for real? When my fat jeans didn't fit anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that is earlier. I was holding Abigail in my arms when I was like, oh, we had a baby today. Oh, wow. That morning, that morning, the nurse said, we're having a baby today. And I said, we are. (laughs) So like, no, we're not. That's not how this ends. I didn't think anything bad was going to happen. I just didn't have any concept that a baby was going to happen. Well, Heidi and Ben, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I think this is really important for for people to hear different stories and and different perspectives and just how we all work through it. So I I really want to thank you for for giving us the time on these last two episodes. For sure. I think in retrospect I would say don't underestimate the opportunities for being blessed and for ministering to other people in that trial, something that I didn't expect but was very blessed by. And I would encourage healthcare professionals not to be dismissive of people either. Yeah, I think that's important. Well, thank you very much. And we are grateful for you coming. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Hope Blooms, a podcast from the Early Pregnancy Loss Association. To learn more about how we and you can support women suffering early pregnancy loss, visit our website at miscarriagecare.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.